Welcome to the Evolve Pod, brought to you by Evolve Wellbeing Group. Well, hello everybody and welcome back to the Evolve Pod. Uh, episode 14, I'm really excited this week to bring you a, um, a client of Troisman Coachings. Um, through the coaching business, we come across some very inspiring and uh, amazing and interesting people. And a few weeks ago, I was talking to my wife about the, you know, some themes that we could investigate and we could use on the, on the podcast. And we came across this, this, the, the theme of reflection. Nanny said that she'd work with this chap, Peter, um, and I had to speak to him to find out a little bit more about him. And so, so that's where we are now. I, I had a good chat with Peter and his story is a really amazing story of motivation, of resilience, of mindset and of positive change. Um, Peter's kind of getting towards the sort of the later stages of of what is perceived of life, I guess. But there's a lot more to come from Peter. You can see his, you can't see his face. He's grimacing a little bit at me there. But um, there's there's so much to reflect on where he's come from and where he is now and the things he's achieved. You know, um, going to Kona for the World Championships at Ironman, for example. There's been some amazing things to reflect on. So I want to spend this time looking back, but I also want to look forward as well to see what Peter's got coming up because I'm sure he's got some challenging things coming up that, that some of us might grimace at so Peter over to you how are you yeah I'm, I'm very good Ali thank you very much nice to talk to you again uh, I'm a little bit amazed about the later stages of life I have never <laughs> thought of that <laughs> I hope, hope to prove you wrong <laughs> yeah absolutely I, I definitely hope to be proved wrong but no thank you for giving up your time today uh, to, to meet with me and to, to have a chat for the podcast I really genuinely appreciate it and as I said, you've, you've got some really great experience that for, for me personally and also the listener can really learn from and really grow from and, and really find some inspiration. Um, so, you know, where, where did it all begin for you? I've kind of alluded to the triathlon and, you know, the Ironman World Championships as one of the things that you've achieved uh, more recently. Have you always been sportive? Have you always been kind of uh, motivated by health and fitness? No, not, not, not at all, not at all. In fact, uh, as a boy, uh, I did very little sport. Um, I, I, I just was a little bit overweight and had no, um, no speed about me at all, a little bit of a chubby boy, and uh, certainly didn't ex- excel at sports. I was always the last one that would be chosen when we were choosing the teams for football or, or, or whatever. So no, I, I wasn't. Um, Hey, I, I enjoyed watching football and, 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 and cricket and, and, and so forth on the television, but that's about as far as it went as, as, a, as a boy. Uh, I, I think it wasn't really until I joined the RAF when I was 16. And um, the sporting facilities were all there and um, kind of opened up an interest in you, if you like, uh, particularly in, in swimming. As, as a boy, I couldn't swim. We didn't have a, a swimming pool near where I lived in, in, in Lincoln. And um, that was the first time I'd ever been in a swimming pool when I joined, joined the Air Force. So uh, a friend of mine um, taught me to swim. He taught me to swim breaststroke uh, because he couldn't swim front crawl either. Uh, taught me to swim breaststroke, and I, I, I did become quite a good breaststroke swimmer, although again, not fast. I, I could swim 
uh, quite comfortably uh, after a couple of years I could swim quite comfortably a mile of breaststroke and I, I was quite pleased with that and that was about the limit then, even then, of my sporting uh, ambitions or achievements and until I discovered sub-aqua diving. I was in the RAF and uh, I was posted abroad and there was a sub-aqua club at the station where I was posted to in, in Cyprus. And in the Mediterranean, you can imagine the sunshine and the blue sea. Um, it just blew my mind uh, and, and I, I loved it. And um, yeah, prior to that, I'd been a heavy smoker, a heavy drinker. Again, I, I was overweight. And, um, but but sub-aqua diving was, was one of those things whereby you didn't notice the pounds shedding. I stopped smoking. I was, I was too busy to go drinking. Um, so yeah, sub-aqua diving did at that time really change my life. And uh, I, I became more of a, uh, a sportive, type of a person if you like yeah what what sort of age were you when when you got involved with that sub aqua diving oh i'd be in my mid-20s mid okay. that, that um i continued diving for well we still dive my wife and i if we go on holiday if we're lucky enough to go to warmer climes yeah <laughs> she doesn't like diving in the, in the uk <laughs> no i can't blame her <laughs> but, uh, we, we will we, we, we have dived um in the caribbean which she loves and um yeah, nice warm waters. We still dive, um, but but yeah, it, in my uh, my late twenties, diving was a big part of my life until I left the RAF uh, when I was thirty, mm -hmm. and and then I I uh, went to work. I was a dental technician, and I, I went to work at Lincoln County Hospital, and I I met the girl who was going to be my wife, and um, yeah, uh, again. Um, diving opportunities in Lincolnshire it's, it's, it's not the greatest of uh, interesting most interesting coasts yeah uh, so and also with buying a house working we had children fairly early in our marriage and uh, raising the children um, yeah that took a, a back seat again sport took a back seat so it wasn't really until till my late 50s that I really became interested in sport again after the children had uh, not exactly left home, but they'd, they'd uh, gone off to university and, and, and whatever they did. So from from sort of the age of 30 through to, as you just say, there, your, your late 50s, I guess the priorities of, of life were family, work, you know, making sure bills are paid, etc. And yeah. I wanted to kind of touch on a point here about well-being because these days, currently, well-being is a is a word that's thrown around left, right, and centre, and it's quite an important thing. Well-being, and I know now because I know what you do, and we've spoken a, f a fair bit recently. I do. I, I'm fully aware you you really prioritise your well-being through the use of things like sports to make sure you stay fit and healthy, both mentally and, and physiologically. But in those uh, sort of those 30 years, 30, 30 and a bit years, what sort of value did you put on your own personal well-being? Um, not a lot, to be not honest. Not a lot, okay. Lot. Uh, the, the children came first, always. Yeah. And, and, and then my wife. And uh, I, I, I was an afterthought. Um, and I think a lot of men are like that. Um, their, their, their family is the most important thing. Uh, and it's not until the family are, are, have got what they need, what they want, 
um, that, that you'd kind of think of yourself in, in, in those years. In those years. Yeah. I think it tends to change, change later in life. Um, everything seems to be about me now. <laughs> no, no so, harm in so that. So my daughter keeps telling me. <laughs> <laughs> no harm in that. You've got to put number one first at some point, hey. Um, but that's interesting. That So um, there's obviously a kind of connection with sport at the beginning, you know, joining the RAF and obviously quite a physical job there anyway. And then the opportunity to get into the Subaqua Club. And then everything sort of gets parked because the life priorities, you know, take, you know, take the priority moving forwards. So then you know, late fifties, what happened to get you back into to sport? Because you've got an amazing journey, which we're going to talk about in due well, course about what you've achieved, but was there a sort of pivotal point that made you think, hang on a minute, I'm missing a trick here. Well, there was actually, yeah. And uh, we often laugh about it, my wife and I, because we were invited out to dinner with friends and um, our friend uh, Byron, who's a Welsh chap, lived down the road and his wife, Gillian, lovely people we went uh, to dinner with them now byron i knew he told me he, he, he enjoyed port he drank port mm -hmm. and i thought well this this is a nice occasion we're, we're going out for dinner i'll take him a glass a, a bottle of port so i, I bought a, a bottle of port and i, I took it along and, and had dinner and a nice conversation a nice evening and byron said um oh, should we have a glass of port so i said oh that, that would be nice i would never drunk port before never drunk it <laughs> I thought, oh, that'd be nice. Uh, let's try it. And he said, well, instead of opening this this one that you've just bought, uh, do you mind if we finish this one, which which is half full? Well, he didn't say finish. He said, do you mind if we use this one, which is half full and is already open? I said, yeah, of course we can. Of course we can. Well, I, I tried this port and um, we finished the half bottle and then we started on the other one. And we finished that one as well. And I was so ill. The next day, I was so hungover, I, I sat on the settee and I watched the London Marathon. And it was all I could, I was still in my pyjamas, I was still in my pyjamas when the race finished. I, I sat on it and, and I was transfixed by it, really. And I had, I, I'd always felt that one day I would run the London Marathon. Now, I don't know why I'd always felt that, but, but it was one of those it's one of those things which, which in life you think one day I, I, I will do that. Um, and as I watched it, it occurred to me, I, I'm sitting here or lying here on the settee really with this hangover. I'm, I'm overweight. I'm 57, 58. And, and I'm coming to a turning point. I'll soon be 60. I thought, if I don't do something about this now, I never will. And I will never run that marathon. And I mentioned this to my wife. I said, one day I'm going to do that. And she said, no, you won't, not unless you do something about it soon. So the next day, or a couple of days after, after I phoned up, uh, after I sobered up, I went down to the local gym and I joined the gym. And I thought, I am going to do that marathon. And I joined the gym and I started on the treadmill, on the treadmill. And... Um, Unfortunately, they only had two treadmills at this gym, which was in Bedford. They only had two treadmills. So they only allowed you to do 20 minutes at a time on the treadmill. So after I, I, I got, I worked myself up and it was quite hard work to, to get myself running for 20 minutes. 
I thought, well, I can't carry on here for very much longer. I'm going to go out on the road. So I went running on the road, and that was a, a different thing altogether. I, I tried to run a mile. I, I couldn't do it. I managed to run about mm, five or ten minutes and then a little walk, and then a bit more, another five or ten minutes, and then a little walk. But it didn't take long before I was able to run a mile. And once I was able, it was slowly, but I was able to do it. Once I was able to run a mile, I then progressed from there one mile to two miles. And then I think I must have read a magazine or something because it said, try to improve by just 10, 10 minutes or 10% per week. So I tried to do that and I did. And soon, before very long, I was able to run three or four miles. And I bought a, a Runner's World magazine, I think it was, and, and there was a, a program, a, a calendar in there of, um, of events. And I noticed that there were a couple of events close to me in Luton, and there was a 5K run. And I thought, well, let's, let's just have a go. Let's just run a, a 5K race and, and see how I, how I get on. Um, I didn't know anybody in Luton, and, and quite honestly, I expected to come last if I finished at all. But that didn't really matter because because I didn't know anybody, they weren't going to take any notice of me. So I, I felt that was that was fine. Um, so I did my 5K run and it went okay. I, I wasn't last, not by a long way. I, I wasn't first, no way near, but I wasn't last. And uh, I quite enjoyed it. There was quite a nice atmosphere about the run. And a couple of weeks later, I noticed from my Runner's World magazine, there was a 10K run in Luton at the same place. So I entered that and I went to it. And again, I wasn't last, but the significant point of that race was I beat a couple of people who were members of Bedford Harrier's Running Club. Now, Bedford Harrier's Running Club was, was quite famous at the time. There were, in fact, um, two running clubs in, in Bedford, but they both trained on the same track. Um, one was, I can't remember the name of it, probably Bedford Town Runners or something, but Paula Radcliffe was a member there. The other club, Bedford Harriers, was older, older people. Well, not, they weren't all old, some were young, but they weren't such accomplished athletes. So, but I joined Bedford Harriers anyway. And the day I joined, I always say, I made 300 new friends. Really? And I was amazed at the, um, at the friendliness of people, mm. at the welcome that I got. And uh, yeah, absolutely terrific people. And I, I told them what my ambition was to run the, um, the London Marathon the, the next year. And there are a few people like me who didn't have running history and they wanted to run the marathon too so yeah we, we would train on a, a tuesday and thursday afternoon we would have a, a an experienced runner as a guide and um we gradually built up the mileage and we would go for uh tuesday and thursday evenings i think we'd um, do four or five mile runs and then on a saturday we would do a longer mileage and um built up from there until yeah, the following year, I, I did do that marathon. So that's um, what, two two years after you started running? So two years after that, after um, that night on the port? Yeah, yeah, wow. two, two, two years later. Um, I, I, I entered the, uh, the, the marathon 
and uh, I didn't get in because um, of, the, of the ballot system. It's oversubscribed, but uh, I did manage to find a, a charity place. So I, I didn't raise a lot of money. I was a little bit sorry about that, but I think I did manage to raise a thousand pounds. So that was okay. Uh, and the race went well. The race went well. I, I finished it in, I still remember, it was four hours 21. And uh, a terrific experience. I, I remember running down the mile and uh, I was running alongside a lady and she grabbed hold of my hand and we went through the, um, through the timing mat with our hands held high. And uh, she was from Portugal and she said, I'm, I'm doing this for Portugal. She was, um, she was so thrilled. She was... Amazing. I mean, I've never done the London Marathon. Um... But I've heard a lot of people say it is something truly special, truly incredible um, to, to run with those crowds of people, the support, etc. Did you go into the London Marathon thinking that, you know, I'll, I'll have a crack at the marathon and then probably look at something else? Or were you already kind of sucked into this journey, sucked into this kind of lifestyle? And, you know, you, you made those new 300 new friends in on day one, having joined the club. Was it now kind of like this was part of, part of the identity part of the plan somewhat um you know I must have been very naive because I think I, I, nowadays after a marathon I would take quite a few weeks off but for some reason I'd entered the Edinburgh marathon about five weeks later so I come across this quite often being a coach with people who are just getting into the, the the kind of they're finding this real passion and they're really excited and really pumped by it. They quite often they want that hit very, very regularly and don't necessarily look at the sort of the science behind it. So it's it happens probably way more often than you would think. Yeah. By the way, as does people getting involved in sports on on after drunken nights out. <laughs> <laughs> that, that does happen more often than not I, as well. I think I once read a, a, a story of David Bedford running the London Marathon after a drunken night out. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's interesting to hear then. So you kind of had this, yeah, this sort of the London Marathon, you had this amazing experience. And then five weeks later, you're already looking ahead to the next marathon yes. up in Edinburgh. Yeah. How, how was that sort of physically? Well, it was okay. Um, I was wow. amazed, really, looking back on it. I, I, I am surprised that I did it okay. In fact, I, I improved on my time. Yeah. I, my time in London was 4.21. I think in Edinburgh it was 4.18. I took about three minutes off. And um, I felt quite well on it, yeah. So, um, so, so that went well. And then, yeah, I, I was really sucked into the, uh, the running life with the, with the club because mm -hmm. the club was uh, so friendly and, 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 and supportive. So um, a few more runs followed, and then I decided I was going to retire. I was going to retire from, I was 60 years of age, almost, and uh, I decided I would take retirement at 60 uh, because I wanted to do a lot more running. So I retired at 60 and we, we, we moved house. Um, we came to live in Winchester and I left Bedford Harriers and I, uh, I ran the Chicago Marathon. Uh, I retired in the June and I, re I, I trained and I ran the Chicago Marathon in the October. And I got my time down to four minutes 13, um, which I, I, I was very, very pleased with. Um, 
yeah, and, and, and loved the experience of running in a, another big city abroad this time. I was going to ask, what, what, what made you go and run over in Chicago? Um, <laughs> the smart answer is because it was there. Yeah, no, of course. But, but to be honest, I can't remember. I, yeah. I, I, I think um, big city marathons, New York at the time would have been um, oversubscribed. Boston, you had to qualify. Um, Paris and Berlin, um, for some reason, they, they didn't figure on my, on my horizon then. Uh, but Chicago, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's interesting because you think about, um, you know, retiring at the age of 60. And I loved what you said just now about I, I, took, I wanted to retire because I wanted to run more. Um, I, I can... I can't 100% resonate with that. If I could retire now to run more, I definitely absolutely would. Um, but it's it's really interesting because obviously at, at 60 years old, take retirement, it's almost, you know, it's almost like you're actually retiring to get going rather than yeah. quite often people retire to sort of wind down. But it's you're kind of the opposite. I'm, I'm going to retire to really get stuck into this and to, you know, to give it 110%, go straight to Chicago to run another marathon and sort of take your, that's why I was interested to understand why Chicago, but to take your running and use it as a means to explore and to experience other things and cultures and experiences. I, thought, I think that's really cool. I think, I think that's a really interesting sort of decision to have taken um, reflecting back I don't know what, what's your thoughts on that well actually on, on, on visiting other places and other other cultures that, that, that is interesting too because um, I had a friend who was interested before I was he was younger than I was and and he was also um, he was a personal trainer in actual fact and uh, he was also interested in marathon running and uh, and my wife and his wife got on very, very well. So we would go to um, other places to basically to run the marathon, have a look at the city, have a look around. And uh, I think we went to Amsterdam a couple of times. Uh, we went to Barcelona twice, I think, and um, uh, and Dublin. We enjoyed Dublin uh, and and a few few city marathons that that we enjoyed together. And it was it, we we really enjoyed seeing other places and that was through running. But I must tell you something that happened before um, before I left Bedford, before I did the Chicago Marathon. I, I was a few months before I before I retired. Um, one of the girls at the club, she was a pretty Irish girl, and she said to me, Peter, do, do you have a bike? And I said, yeah, I've got a bike. Uh, one I don't really use, it's at the back of the garage, but I have a bike. And she said, can you swim? And I said, yeah, I can swim, thinking I can, I can still swim breaststroke, no problems. And she said, why don't you come with us down to the tri club, the triathlon club? And I thought, well, I'd go anywhere for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did. I, I went down to the triathlon club and they taught me to swim. They taught me to swim uh, uh, freestyle. And uh, not well. I couldn't swim well. I mean, I've never been a quick swimmer. Uh, but they did, and uh, I quite enjoyed it. And I entered my first triathlon two days after my 60th birthday. Oh, okay. And I, I like to say I won my age group. I don't tend to tell people I was the only one in my age group, but hey, <laughs> I won my age group. 
we can edit that bit out, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I didn't appreciate there were such differences as age groups. And my wife had asked me to be back home for lunch, not too late. I didn't understand why at the time, but I, I, I went off home and um, I missed the prize giving. And, and, and there was a prize for my age group and I didn't, I didn't get it. And, and to this day, I do regret that because I've got quite a few trophies, not a lot, but a few trophies. And I would have liked that, that first one, but I, I don't have it. Again, that's a that's a sort of it's almost a stepping stone of your story to where you are now, though, isn't it? That that enter the first race, yeah, get yeah. your age age group podium, happy yeah. days, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I guess you still got you know just because you don't have the trophy doesn't mean it didn't happen. I still got the memories, exactly. Memories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, so and that, it, it was a sprint triathlon, which is. Um, You'll know it's 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 much much quicker than than the long distances or the middle and yeah. long distances. Yeah. Uh, so it was easier for me to do as a beginner. But um, hey, yeah, I did enjoy it. I I did meet some wonderful people, uh, and it was an opening to a a different track in my life, if you like. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's um, I mean that's how we met through through triathlon essentially. Um, yeah. so this was going back. When was this that you, you did your first? Two thousand and six. Two thousand and six. Sorry, because I was sixty that year. Okay. And uh, yeah, we moved to uh, Winchester, and and I still wanted to do more triathlon as well as more marathons. So I went to the local triathlon club. I honestly thought they wouldn't be interested in within me, and I wouldn't be able to join because I was too old. Um. But I went along and, and I introduced myself. And again, I was so warmly welcomed. I, age, honestly, it is, it's, they say it's just a number, and, and, and it is. The coach was, was in his 70s. Mm -hmm. no, no problem at all. Of course, you can join us, you know, uh, so warmly welcomed. And um, so I joined Southampton Tri Club. In an actual fact, I'm still a member of Southampton Tri Club. That's amazing. I mean, that, that's an interesting thing. You know, uh, I've seen it before with with various athletes who want to have a go, but for what whatever reason, don't feel like they're good enough or they don't feel like they're strong enough or fast enough or the right fit or the right person to approach a club or or a community. And I think you've just hit the nail on the head there, particularly with, uh, with, um, with running and also with with triathlon. The communities are hugely supportive and hugely friendly and hugely welcoming I, I tend to think of them as like a family yeah the, the, the triathlon club became my second family at that time yeah yeah, yeah. so so I, I tended to move not away from running but into triathlon in a big way and i entered a race um in on the devon somerset borders i think it is um a place called Wimbledon. Sorry, almost forgot the name there. Wimbledon. Always reminds me of the Wombles. <laughs> uh, the Wimbledon um, Middle Distance Triathlon, and and it was again a, a wonderful event. People at um, at the tri club thought I was absolutely crazy with a really not a lot of experience, almost no experience in triathlon because the Wimbledon Triathlon was was known as 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 a tough one. 
so I had a lot of support. They were all very interested, wanted to know how I got on and so forth. Um, and yeah, again, uh, my wife and I went down to, to Devon and, uh, and, and we really had a wonderful uh, few days down there. Unfortunately, I um, began being a bit of a newbie, well, very much a newbie. I came out of the swim. I did okay in the swim. I got off, I went into transition. I took off my wetsuit and I was in a panic because I wanted to get out on the bike as quickly as I possibly could. So helmet on, out on the bike, and off I went. And I was doing okay until about four miles from the end, I had a puncture. Well, that was okay. I, I practiced punctures, and I knew exactly what to do. So I got the wheel off, I got the tube off, I got the tube out, and I turned for, got the new tube in and turned for my pump. And I'd left it behind in transition. And there was nothing more, nothing more I could do. I could almost hear the end, the crowds at the end, and I, I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, to, to have ridden with a, a flat tyre would have been probably dangerous and probably wrecked my bike rim anyway. So I, I just, nothing else I could do. I had to walk up to the um, uh, nearest marshal point and, and they gave me a lift over. I think we've all got stories of those kind of things. I think it's... You know, if it can happen in a training session, great. But if it happens in a race, like I had one where um, my saddle fell off uh, um, oh, no. four miles into an iron distance bike ride. And it was the one race where I'd chosen not to take a multi-tool. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we can. We, I think I can, I can definitely certainly relate to that. Actually, that happened to a friend of mine. Um, she was uh, riding, I think she was in a, an Ironman race in Austria and her uh, saddle post broke. And absolutely nothing she could do. I wanted to uh, wanted to ask you. So you, you mentioned about you know, so going for the marathon is quite a big challenge for someone that never really ran before. You know, gave yourself two years to then go and do the marathon into the Edinburgh Marathon. There's a certain element there of backing yourself and your ability to to have a go. And then coming into triathlon, doing the first sprint triathlon, and then the next triathlon being Wimbledon, which is, as you said, is a very hard triathlon. It's not it's certainly not easy run of the mill. It's a it was a difficult course. Is that a trait that you've always had in terms of being able to back yourself, or is that something that grew in terms of this journey of physical well-being and you know, you know, um, getting getting to grips with running and and, and triathlon? Uh, looking back, I, I, I've always put it down to foolhardiness, but um, <laughs> to a degree, yeah, I, I, I like a challenge, and um, I like to rise to a challenge, and um, yeah, there, there, there is a degree of foolhardiness there, because I, I did go into the Wimbledon triathlon not knowing that it, it was thought to be so, so tough, and um learned a lesson from it and learned a lesson from it and um, I came back stronger next year I did the very same race and, and completed it um, I don't think I won my age group or anything like that I don't certainly don't remember any 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 great performance but I completed the race and and that was the important thing yeah how many how many pumps did you take with you how many bike pumps did you take with you? <laughs> well, I certainly had one. <laughs> but uh, it's funny you should say that now because um, 
I do take two or three now. Yeah, 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 yeah I'm sure. <laughs> and I take these um, very tiny uh, gas pumps with me. And um, I, I did have an experience, not last year, because there weren't rice in last year, but the year before, where uh, I had a puncture. And um, I took out my gas pump and, and it wouldn't work. I only had the one. I, I did have a, um, a hand pump. Um, which I was able to use and 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 to get get home with. So so now I don't just take one. I do take two of those gas pumps and 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 a hand pump. Yeah, a little bit overweight, I guess, but but hey. Well, it's useful when you need them. Yeah. So when when you so you you went back next year, you you completed Wimbledon conf, confidently. What's the next steps then for for your journey? Um. I, I, I think after that, um, I, I, I think it was probably my first Ironman, which I think was 2010 in France. Uh, again, absolutely uh, stupid to do it because it was, again, it, it, was, it was probably the most hardest one that I have ever done because I, I was still quite inexperienced and it was hot. And um, first half of the course, yeah, it's almost all uphill, and, and it was a big hill. It was in Nice, and um, people who had done it before told me it, it it is a very hard race, but it's also beautiful. If you get the opportunity to look over the the coast and over the Mediterranean, it, it really is good. Well, I didn't see the Mediterranean. I was working so hard on that, I saw nothing. That's why. My Ironman niece was my first Ironman too, and I can very much relate to what you're saying there. The it's harsh, it's hot, it's tough. It's essentially uphill for the first half and downhill for the second half on the bike. And like you say, that there's points when you really want to have a look at the views and take it in, but what's equally, this you've been riding uphill for two hours. You just want to get to the top of the hill. It's yeah. a, fa- a fantastic race, and I don't know stupid to enter or brave or calculatingly sensible i'm not sure i think it's um it's one of those things you never know unless you try do you yeah that, that, that that's probably uh, the best way of putting it you don't know until you try and, yeah. and it, i i just found that the the idea of going to france going to mediterranean um having a few days in nice with my wife and and i i just found it so very attractive that yeah we did it and um the nice thing was that the, the friends that you make um, just for over a few days, and um, I, I still follow some of those riders that I met on that on that day, and uh, I, I still watch their results and see just what races they are doing. Yeah, yeah. So, what was the feeling like when you crossed the finish line of your of that first Ironman? Do you know? It was one of the the French do it so well. Yeah, they do. <laughs> there were about a dozen cheerleaders, pom pom girls, <laughs> and um, yeah, I'll never forget it. Just just going down this finishing chute with all these girls, and 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 it was a fantastic experience, a fantastic relief to run the finish the race. It was. In the evening, it was dark and a uh, wonderful atmosphere and, and the cheering and the shouting and, and so forth. Marvellous. Yeah. There's some people cross that finish line and have an, a, a, a huge feeling of satisfaction. 
-hmm. and they also have a huge feeling of almost a full stop i've done that i've succeeded and now i can put it to bed and move on sounds mm -hmm. like for you it was again a stepping stone to yes. to, to continue yeah i i knew there were going to be more um i was going to go back to the tri club and they would want to know exactly how how i got on and and what i thought of the race and everything and um yeah there was there was no stopping there, there was no, no point in stopping um, I think after that also that I got involved in um, British Triathlon and um, uh, the international triathlon races, the um, international races representing Team GB. Um, I'm not quite sure when I did my first one for them, but it was in, um, in Las Vegas, just outside of Las Vegas, a place called Henderson, quiet little town. Um, so yeah, I wanted to do the, the, I got the opportunity to do the world championships and we went out to Las Vegas and, um, it, it sounds very, very attractive, but you know, it was at a time of the economic slump and, and it was in November and we walked down the strip and Las Vegas was like a ghost town. Um, we saw property for sale and billboards saying, um, don't worry about your mortgage, just hand us your keys. And, and, and we really felt we are in a, a, this place is in a difficult financial situation. Yeah. yeah. But the, the race we group all the same. The Americans do this so very, very well. But one thing that I, I, I did take from that was although the race was good, Although the, the triathlon community again was was very very supportive, um, there wasn't a lot of support on the course. There were very few spectators. The spectators that were there were, were family and friends of, of the athletes, um, which I, I thought was a bit disappointing. Very very disappointing. But then then it, it's a great honour to represent your 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 country in. Um, in any in, in any um, position really, and uh, yeah, I, I was very very proud of my my Team GB kit. Oh, I'm sure and I've, I've still got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think um, do you think that the crowd is something that you you really thrive on having that support on a course? You know, typically your, your comments about the London Marathon. Oh yeah. that, that's a yeah. world renowned marathon for the support that you get, and it's interesting that your one of your memories from that um, Vegas race is the, the lack of support and how that's kind of stuck with you. Yes. Um, but, but, and then again, you, you talk about the London Marathon and, and, and sport that, that is with you. Underneath the bridges on that London Marathon, it wasn't a rainy day, but I did notice that it was under bridges. And at certain points, you'd get bands playing. And there was, I went under one bridge, I can't remember where it was, but there was a West Indian steel band playing. And, and I still remember the energy. There were girls dancing there, and I still remember the energy from that, that group, that, mm. that West Indian steel band that were dancing. Absolutely marvellous, wonderful. So then I suppose the, the, the next logical step for me, talking about sort of the support and triathlon and Ironman, is um, going to Kona for the, for the Ironman World Championships. That, mm. Mm. Um, that, what, what an experience that must have been. It's not something I've well, ever done. 
Well, talk about hype. You know, I, I think the Americans, <laughs> the Americans do this well, and and it, it blew my mind. I I, w- I was very selfish. I, I said that in later years I, I should become selfish. My wife was working, I was retired, and I, I took the occasion to take a, a month preparation in Hawaii. Wow! <laughs> and I I worked hard. I worked hard. I, I went to stay um, not far from. Uh, Kona is um, a village. Uh, well, no, it's a very small town. And um, on the, the island of Hawaii, the big island, and, and I stayed at a golf resort um, about 20 miles away. But it wasn't very far from the, the, the bike route. So every day, every other day, I would go out on that bike route. And I, I, I knew it so very, very well pounding up and down the Queen K Highway it's called um, K is a, it's an unpronounceable name of a, a, a of a former Hawaiian queen in the dark dim dark past well, maybe not so dim not so dark uh, but in, in the far distant past yeah so um, had to qualify for um, uh, for Kona and uh, I did that in, in Wales and um, that was another story, really. Uh, Wales, again, is a, a very difficult course. In fact, I, I would say it's the most difficult course I've ever done. Kona is not difficult. Um, but, but Wales was, and, and I was very, very lucky, unbelievably lucky, because as you get older, there are very, very few people in your age group. In that race, there were only three of us. One chap was disqualified. Um, because you, you come out of the swim on, on, uh, in Kenby in Wales, you come out of the swim, you've done 3.8 k's in, in not, not warm water by any means, and, and, and then you've got uh, a one-kilometre run to transition to pick up your bike. And this chap had taken off his wetsuit and he passed it to his wife. It was German, actually, a German fellow, so... Uh, whether he understood what the rules were, I, I don't know. Um, but he passed it to his wife, whereas everybody else either ran with their wetsuit or in their wetsuit uh, to uh, to transition, and he was disqualified for that. Uh, and I did. I felt quite sorry for him and quite embarrassed. But had I turned down the place, um, he wouldn't have got it. He would have gone to another age group. So I, I, I was very, very lucky to, to, to get that place and, and qualify for Kuna. Uh, which I guess that must have been, that's right, yeah, I, I think my first experience of Kona was 2013, so the Wales race would have been in 2012. Um, yeah, and, and the race itself was, it, it was magnificent. I, um, my wife joined me in Kona, in the village, um, about three or four days before the race, and we had a few days there to prepare, and you could feel the not tension, it was not tension, but you, you could feel the atmosphere hotting up as, as more and more athletes came into the um, it, 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 into Kona and uh, the hotel filled up and the place got very, very busy. And um, yeah, again, but, but although they came from different countries, there was still the atmosphere that, that it was a family. Um, so, yeah, very, very friendly, very friendly. Um, 
I did quite well. Um, I think there were something like 36 in the, in the age group, uh, which was, a, I felt, unusual. It, it isn't, actually, for that, that, that big race. It, it isn't. And, and I came uh, something like 20th, something like that. So uh, not a fantastic time, but um, well, within the, um, well within the cutoff times. And yeah. yeah what, an, what an experience, though. It, it was, absolutely. Yeah. Unforgettable. Wow. So good, I did it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? Well, the, the hype was so wonderful, being on the, 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 these iconic places, um, like, like, like the beach at, in, in Kona. It's a very, very small beach. And you, you can't all get into the water because there are about 3,000 athletes getting onto this tiny little beach. You can't all get onto the beach. You've got to get into the water. And, and the race does start in the water. And, and then there is the, um, the national anthem of, of, of the United States. And, and then there is um, a Hawaiian prayer and, and they blow their conches and such just before the start. And then everybody gets into the water and you line up alongside the, um, the kayaks. And um, they, they keep you in the one line so that you don't start too early. And then you're off. And uh, it's a long way, 3.8K, <laughs> out and back. And, um, but, yeah, I, I knew I wasn't fast, so I, I, I did my normal stroke and um, got back well within the cutoff. I think the cutoff is something like uh, two hours, 10 minutes, I think. But I, I did it in 90 minutes, which isn't fast. Uh, I was towards the end of the pack. But um, wonderful. Uh, I still remember coming up out of the uh, out of the water, and you run through showers, and uh, running through the showers, and I stopped for a moment to have a just just slightly better shower than you normally would, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, grab my bike, and um, it's it's non wetsuit in actual fact, it's non wetsuit uh, the swim, and um, grab my bike and uh, held it on, and off I went, and um, that was good, that was good. Uh, pretty well uneventful. Um, Kona is it's, it's it's an out and back course along the Queen Car, uh, the, the Queen K Highway um, to a place I think it's called Harvey, and um, cycle up to Harvey uh, and and back again. But the, I, I say Kona isn't difficult. Kona isn't difficult. The course is quite simple, um, except for one thing. It's a volcanic island. The sun comes out, the sun goes up, it heats up the, the lava of which the island is made. And as the lava, the lava heats up, the air rises. And there's a current, it sets up an air current and the wind is quite tremendous at times. The wind blows at three o'clock, the wind is directly in your face. And if you are not home on the bike by three o'clock, you, you are going to struggle. And uh, I was nowhere near home at three o'clock. Um, in fact, what time did I get home? I, I, I guess I got home at about five o'clock. And uh, I did, I had a, an awful struggle with that wind. But if you're quick, Kona's, Kona is, is no problem. Yeah. But then again, uh, the run, the, the run, uh, it, it is so iconic. It's uh, again, you, you're running up, you start running up a hill, I think it's called Patani, 
Patani, something like that. And then you're onto the Queen K Highway and out to a place called the Athlete Lab. Um, oh, sorry, the Energy Lab. The Energy Lab is, is, is nothing. <laughs> I had visions of them giving us gels and so forth at the Energy Lab, nothing to do with that. It's a, it's a hydrological institute which measures wave energy and so forth. But you run through uh, their, um, their works down to the beach and, and, and down along the beach and then back again to, uh, to Kona. And, and the reception that you get in Kona is uh, absolutely marvellous. And um, the cheering and the shouting and, and so forth. And uh, again, it's iconic places that the finishes in a place called Ali Drive. And I remember turning into Ali Drive and, and still getting emotional at the thought of seeing the finish line and all the crowds and the cheering and so forth. Yeah. And my wife was um, my wife was there um, along Ali Drive just before the finish, about 200 yards from the finish. She passed me a Union Jack flag. Oh, cool. And it was a huge flag. And I put it behind my shoulders and I ran in with it like that. And uh, there was a magazine, I don't know if it's still going, called uh, Triathlon Europe. And they used the photograph of me crossing the line with Union Jack behind me as their front cover. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, I've still got the photograph. I use it on my Facebook page. Great. Well, maybe we should have it as a profile picture for this, this podcast. <laughs> That's really cool. As you were talking about your memories of Kona, my mind was flashing back to memories that I have from various races that I've done. So that was really nice to to really kind of to feel that Kona race from your perspective. It's it's um because there is a lot of talk about Kona, but to actually hear what it's like in quite sort of passionate depth, as you put it, there is you know I could really I've I've sort of seen it on TV, but I almost felt it a little bit there, having never been there. I almost felt it a bit. So it's really really thank you for that. It's really nice to hear. Oh. You can still do it in your 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've still got <laughs> time. I've still got time. So we're, we're here. So, so this was um, between your, this was in your 60s. I'm, uh, I'm yeah, I think I did um, Kona for the second time. That was right. It was 2015. I'd be 69 then. Okay. Which, so you're sort of, you're currently sitting on six Ironman triathlons, two of them in, in the World Championships, countless half Ironman distance races, marathons, etc. 70th birthday tell us what your what you set yourself for your 70th birthday because well, it's not quite the big party that most people would you know well, do you know challenge I, themselves I, with. I told you about my my 60th birthday didn't I and I said my wife wanted me back home early yeah I didn't know why she wanted me back home early but my wife's a very um very positive person, formidable woman, and you do as you do. <laughs> <laughs> she says you get her money, you get her money. She had arranged a um, birthday lunch with 20 of my relatives. And my brother was there, and my sisters were there, and their, their wives and, and so forth. And, uh, it was a really terrific occasion. But coming up to my 70th, I thought, I don't want to do that again. And I, I don't want to go out for a... Um, a posh lunch and um, I thought what can I do what can I do I'd like to do something which is really significant for me and I read about a guy who swam for his 70th birthday he swam around the Isle of Wight and I thought 
that's the sort of thing I'd like to do. But I knew I was not a good enough swimmer. Again, I, I read of things like, um, you've probably heard of the, the Arch to Arc challenge. Yeah. Um, the Arch to Arc, um, I think only at that, 45 people, I think, maybe, maybe 50 people have done it now. But at that time, I think only something like six people had done it. And I thought, I'd like to do that. But I knew that my swim was nowhere near good enough, nowhere near. So I, I looked around for something else. And I, somebody told me about a, a, a website called Crazy Guy on a Bike. Um, and I looked at Crazy Guy on a Bike and I read people actually cycled across America. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I went to see a friend of mine who runs a bike shop in... Um, in, in Botley near Southampton and I, I said I want to buy uh, a bike to cross America. I've uh, I read these reports of people that do it and they use a thing called a, a surly disc trucker. It sounds like something you wouldn't want somebody you wouldn't spend one wouldn't want to spend an evening with a surly disc trucker. But that's the bike they use. But we looked at this surly disc trucker, um, my friend Mark and I and he said, no, with your triathlon experience, you should get frustrated. It's just a bit too heavy and a bit too slow. And he found this bike for me. It's a titanium bike. I used it, in fact, I used it this week. Uh, it's a lovely machine uh, made by a, a company in Macclesfield called uh, Sabbath. And it's the Sabbath September. So we put the bike together and I tried it on a few rides down here in the New Forest and a uh, lovely machine. And um, I researched the kit I needed, and um, yeah, I, I cycled across America to celebrate my seventieth birthday. <laughs> I mean that that in itself, uh, you know. So I'm well, my thirty nine now. To think when I'm seventy of doing something like that, I would love to do something like that. I think that's that sounds amazing. And it was a, a great great experience, which I, I, I still look back on as a. Um, I won't say life-changing, but a life-affirming experience. Do you, here's a question for you then. Do you think something like that, if you had have done it, say you were in my shoes, 39 years old, and you had the opportunity to do that versus the opportunity that you made for yourself at the age of 70, which one do you think you, you kind of enjoyed reflecting, would you have enjoyed the most? Um, I think probably to have done it when I was younger, um, I don't know if that enjoyed the most, but it would have changed my life. Mm -hmm. I would have gone on to do, um, I, I have done more uh, cycle rides, but I, I would have done more, more adventurous things, I think. Okay. Um, in, in actual fact, uh, somebody, when I came back from that adventure, somebody did ask me, um, she was going through a, a life change herself, and, and she asked me if I would... Um, if I would do the same thing with her, uh, and, and I said, yes, I would, I would do it with her. And, and, and so I did, three of us, um, we did not the reverse route. Um, I think I mentioned the um, Adventure Cycling Association. No, I didn't, let me talk about them. Um, Crazy Guy on a Bike is a website on which people um, relate their, their cycling adventures and re report their rides. 
There is also another association called the Adventure Cycling Association who published maps and guides to cycle routes in America. And uh, there are three principal ways of crossing America by bike. One is called the Northern Route, which is on the north, obviously. It's close to the Canadian border. Um, the other one is called the Trans-America Route, which was the original one and goes pretty well through the center but to avoid the deserts on the western, on, on, on the western, uh, in the western states, Utah, Utah and um, uh, Nevada, Utah and Nevada, to avoid those, it goes up north by way of Wyoming and um, uh, Oregon and down the Pacific coast. So that's the Trans-America route. And then there is another route from San Diego to uh, St. Saint, Saint Augustine in, in Florida. And uh, that's the route we, we chose to do uh, to come back. So, uh, yeah, so I did it twice, yeah. Um, sorry, I've forgotten what we were talking about. No, no, that's okay, that's okay. I mean, I've, I want to sort of come back to, to a theme that we spoke about near the beginning in terms of the well-being. So I asked you in your sort of professional life, what value did you put on your well-being? And, uh, and I think your answer was not very much at all because of the priorities that, that sort of preceded your yourself what now looking back over the last 15 years or so that you've been involved in this incredible journey of triathlon of marathon running and sort of almost fulfillment for your purely for yourself and, and also for your wife in terms of the traveling and the experience etc what value do you put on your own well-being um, and, and what part of that does 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 the sport play it's it is now enormously important to me. I'm very proud of my health. Um, and, and one thing I'd like to say is that it's not just physical health. There's a lady called, uh, she's, a, she's a nun, I think I may have spoken to you before about her, uh, Sister Madonna Buddha. And in a, I watched a recent podcast of hers, and, and she was saying that nuns have to run. Nuns have to do exercise because they have to harmonize mind, body, and soul. Well, I, I'm not so sure about soul. I, I'm not qualified to talk about soul. <laughs> I, I, I think it is important to, to invest in yourself, in your own physical fitness um, from an early age. If I was doing it now, um, yes, when I was in the Air Force, I... I, I was quite fit and I would have kept that fitness going and because it, it, it is it, it's it, it's like people invest for their pensions and so forth but they should realize it's even more important to invest in your, in your health for the long term but just as important as that is is your mind and and I think it's important to um, uh, keep your mind active um, you know we, we hear things like Alzheimer's and, uh, and, and, and so forth. And it, it's so very easy to, to lapse into a, a vegetative state. So I think you need some sort of interest in life outside of the physical, whether it be, uh, I know a lot of people go into painting or, or writing or book clubs and so forth. Uh, and I think it's important to, um, to keep your mind active as, as well as your body. So when you used to talk about uh, wellness and mindfulness, uh, or wellness in particular, I, I think you have to look at both sides, both the physical and the mental. 
I think there's also the social well-being as well. And you've, yeah. you've, you've alluded yeah. to it a lot in terms of what, what triathlon and running has brought you in, in, that, in that respect of, of the camaraderie, of the group, training partners, travel partners, etc. You know, following people that you raced with once and still having that connection with them 10, 15 years later, etc. That's huge. That's really, really big. And I think all these sort of smaller areas of well-being create a much better sort of holistic um approach to well-being so you've got you know your your physical well-being which leads into your mental well-being which leads into your social social well-being etc um i was i really liked what you said there about there's you know people put into a financial pot for the future yeah but, but don't necessarily put into their um physical pot for the future yes and i think certainly for me having spent this time with you today that's definitely something i will take away and 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 be very mindful of particularly for myself and also for people that i work with um and it's really it's really great to hear someone in your position who's still very active still very successful in what you do sort of relate to that as a as a really big learning point from from your experience i really appreciate that what's um what's the future plans obviously the last last year or so has been a complete washout it, don't, it, don't, don't want to dwell on that what, what's the future look like yeah it, it has been a washout um personally i've got uh, something coming along in my very near future i'm about to have um my third grandchild um so that is taking priority at the moment um i'm hoping this year to be able to do a few century rides that's 100 mile rides um there's one in particular i'd like to do if it is on which is the, the hampshire hilly hundred um which i've done a couple of times in the past um a nice ride it's not a race it's a sportive and um yeah it, it is challenging and um i'd probably get like to get out and practice for that a few times maybe a few other sportives uh, something I came across the other day was I, I didn't know. Um, you read about people who ride from um, Land's End to John O'Groats, and, and, and that's gone through my mind a few times. But I didn't know there is actually a, ra um, a, a Sustrans route. Sustrans are people who um, develop um, cycle routes throughout the country. Um, there is a Sustrans route from Dover to St. Ost Dover in Kent, St. Austell in Cornwall. I thought I might like to have a look at that. So that's that's for this year. And then next year, um, I haven't finished with Ironman triathlons yet. I'd like to have a third go at Kona, especially when my, my new grandson is old enough to uh, to enjoy the sun and the water. Wow, yeah. I think not this year, maybe next year, I might have another crack at a, another Ironman, see if I can qualify for Kona. And uh, go and get some more. and get some more of that because it, it really is a terrific experience. It's amazing. It's been really great to talk to you over the last hour or so. Um, yeah, that's to have the reflection on what you've, and how you've been able to tell your your story from that pivotal point in in two thousand and four of being not in the best place to where you are now and what you've achieved in fifteen or so years. It's really great. It's such a good story, and it's, it's very nice of you to say so. I, I kind of uh, think it's pretty ordinary because um, 
I, I don't have any great ability, but I, th I think you know people say it, it's not the um, it's not the winning, it's the taking part. Well, it's not just the taking part; it's the enjoying it as well. Yeah, it's the commitment to 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 succeed in what your value of success is that I've taken from from our conversations, not just today. And it's you understand your reasons why you you do it. You're not doing it for anybody else. You're doing it purely for yourself and you not in your own words you're not the quickest person that doesn't matter what matters is you all the things you've talked about the emotions the memories the pleasure the joy the wellness the well-being the fitness the health you know all these things is what really matters I, you know yes it's nice to go fast if you can go fast but equally the people that tend to go really fast if they have a day where they go they don't go particularly fast they don't enjoy it yeah yeah i i i can't remember races which i can't which i can say i haven't enjoyed um i think i think probably and and but more than racing i, I do find racing a little bit stressful i do enjoy the training yeah. and um I think that that's that's probably the, the the major part. The endorphins that you get after a good training session are um, they're important. It's, it's a drug, and uh, and 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 you need it once you once you've had it. You need it. You need it. <laughs> well, Peter, thank you very much for 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 retelling all the, all of your experiences for us. It's You're been really, very, very welcome. It's been really fantastic. And look, we'll keep in touch over the next uh, over the next months and years. And um, I really look forward to seeing what, what you can achieve. It's really yeah, exciting. Thank you yes. very much, Ali. It's been lovely to talk to you. No problem at all. So look, thanks everybody for tuning in again. Um, we're coming back next week. We've got a special edition of the Evolve Pod next week with a launch of something that's really exciting. But yeah, keep in, keep in contact and we'll bring you some more awesome content next week. Thanks everyone. Bye.